You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. sanctify yourselves, that means be prepared to meet God. Be prepared. The children of Israel were told to wash and put on new clothes in Exodus because they were going to meet God. Remember when we read that in Exodus 19. Even Jacob washed and put on new clothes when he was going to meet with God. King David washed and put on new clothes when he was going to meet with God. It's a ceremonial type thing, but yet what it means is they're preparing their hearts to meet with God. They're preparing their hearts to meet with God. When you put your faith in Christ and receive God's Spirit, you begin a process of transformation that's commonly referred to as sanctification. As Pastor Dave will teach you in his message today, this is an absolutely necessary process that's made possible by none other than the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of Joshua chapter 3 as he continues his message, Renew Your Heart. covenant. They can't get close to God, remember? They, they can't come near God. This is the old covenant. You get too close to God, you end up on fire. You kind of burn up a little bit, you know what I'm saying? I mean, even that story when David was moving the ark, he was moving it the wrong way and it was on a cart. Remember that story? He was moving it the wrong way and it was on a cart and it started to slide. And some poor guy just standing along there says, oh, the ark of the covenant's going to fall. I don't want it to fall. And he touched it and he was killed. Because he didn't respect the ark. And it was David's fault because they were moving it the wrong way. It wasn't supposed to be moved on a cart. It was supposed to be carried by the priest. But see, we don't have a different covenant with God. I'm told I can go boldly into the throne room of grace. I can come boldly in by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a different covenant now. It's a different time. But they weren't under that. So they had to keep their distance from the ark. They had to stay away. How many times did we read in Exodus when God was saying, bring the people to the mountain, but don't let them come too close. Don't let them come up on the mountain. They're not allowed. They had to keep their distance. But we're under that new covenant by the blood of Christ. And then Joshua says something really interesting in verse 5. And he says, Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And this is interesting. This is interesting. They're going to enter the promised land. They're going to cross over the Jordan, but Joshua first says, sanctify yourselves. Basically, sanctify means to be set apart. It means to be made holy. And there are many, many, many scriptures that speak about sanctification. They speak about, first of all, the defilement of sin. The defilement of sin that we must be cleansed from. To sanctify yourselves, it means be prepared to meet God. Be prepared. The children of Israel were told to wash and put on new clothes in Exodus because they were going to meet God. Remember when we read that in Exodus 19. Even Jacob washed and put on new clothes when he was going to meet with God. King David washed and put on new clothes when he was going to meet with God. It's a ceremonial type thing, but yet what it means is they're preparing their hearts to meet with God. They're preparing their hearts to meet with God. When you read his word, you need to prepare your heart to meet with God because it's God's word. We need to pray. 
we need to confess sin if there's sin in our lives because sin is the total defilement. I'll give you more than a song for a song's not enough. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. What's the heart of worship? Jesus. It's not about me. It's all about you, Jesus. Is that the way your heart is? Or when you go to God, is it me, 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 me? No, it's about Jesus. That's the heart of worship. See, that's what we need to have. We need to have that heart. And Joshua is telling them, your heart has to be prepared to go in this new land. You've got to get your heart prepared to go into this new land because new things are going to happen. New things are going to happen, and God is going to be demonstrating a lot to you things that are going to happen. This new land is extremely important. We've been washed and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. The Apostle John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. They had to set themselves apart from the worldly things, from the common things, worldly things that hinder the relationship with God, idols that come into our lives, movies and records and songs that we shouldn't be listening to because it keeps us from God. I'm not trying to be legalistic here, but there are certain things that we shouldn't be doing because it keeps us from God. And it doesn't help our hearts when we do these things. It keeps our hearts hardening. We won't receive the things of God. What he wanted them to do was now, okay, it's time. We're crossing over here. God's going to do something really cool in your life. Now focus on him, please. Focus on God. Put everything else aside. Focus on God. So many of us, myself included, miss out on God's blessings because our hearts aren't prepared to receive them. Our hearts aren't prepared to receive what God has in store for us. The world gets in the way. We need to prepare our hearts to receive what God has. We haven't separated from the world. We haven't separated ourselves from sin. It's really interesting because I don't know if you're thinking this right now, but as I read this verse, I couldn't help but keep thinking of Hebrews 12. It says, therefore... 1 and 2 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was put before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We see several things here. First of all, we need to lay aside the weight. Separate ourselves from the weight. A lot of commentary said the weight is the world, the weight of the world. Those things that are keeping us from God, get them out of your life. Get rid of them. So many things in the world weigh us down. So many things that we have to do in this world. We have to make a living. We have to go to work. We have to eat. We have to do these kind of things. There's so many things that we have to do. But they shouldn't own us. They shouldn't own us. We should own them. You know, it's all right to have possessions as long as the possessions don't have you. You've heard that before. So many things weigh us down. They keep us receiving the blessings from God. And sin is the biggest one. It says the sin that so ensnares us. I don't know about you, but sin easily ensnares. Sin easily creeps in and ensnares you and keeps you from God. He says, look at the answer. Run the race with endurance. Don't give up. Why should I give up? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And it's interesting here because the word look here in the Greek, it means, you know, there's several translations here. One is just a glance, one is the study, and one's the contemplate. But here, 
It's the only word used here in the New Testament this time. And it, it really means to stare at in awe and admiration and to want to emulate. It really means to just putting everything you have into Jesus. Stare at him and look at him and follow him. We see the fullness of God's glory manifested in him. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Israelites were supposed to keep their eyes on the ark as it moved. This was, they're moving along. They're seeing the presence of God, and they're moving along. We're to fix our eyes on Christ. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Rivet our eyes towards Christ and live him. You want to live a victorious life? Keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your eyes on him constantly. And we see in verse 6 that now Joshua takes this huge step of faith. Back in verse 6, I'm back in uh, Joshua. Then Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over for the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant, and they went before the people. He says, Get in front of the people. Now Joshua's faith in God's word is getting stronger and stronger. His relationship with God is getting stronger. See, living in the promised land, you have to have this kind of faith, because we're living under a relationship and not a law. We have to have faith to live in the promised land. You have to have faith to be the victorious Christian. You have to have faith to obtain the abundant life. Joshua now is getting there. He says, okay, now get up there. Now, we don't know when the Lord told him about the priest and the Levites. But in verses 7 and 8, you see that. It says, and the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priest who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Wow. The Lord rewards each step of Joshua's faith with encouragement. I believe the Lord encourages you when you step out in faith. You're rewarded so many different times. But sometimes our ears are closed to his, even his encouragement. That's why we have to stay in his word and in prayer and in communion with him. That's why we need to separate ourselves from the world. We need to separate ourselves from the world so we can hear the still small voice instead of the loud voice that is screaming at us. The loud voice of the world is screaming at us. And we hear that so much, we need to separate ourselves from it so we can hear the still, small voice of God as God wants to speak to you. So the priests are in position. They're ready to roll. They're in position. They got the ark up. They're all ready to go. And look around. Behind them are millions and millions of people. Millions and millions of people. You're going to stand in the Jordan. I don't know if they got that right away. I don't know if that sunk in right away. I really don't. I see these guys standing there. Come on, we're going to go. You know, I, somebody talks to you and you really don't hear everything they say. I don't really think they got that right away. But let's look at 9 through 13. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will drive out from before you all the ites. The ites will be gone. They'll all be gone. He says, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take up yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, and the waters that come down from the upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. I would have loved to have seen the looks on the priest's face when he said that. You want us to do what? 
We want you to take the ark, and we want you to go up to the river, and we want you to step in it. When you step in it, the waters will cease. Didn't Moses have a rod or something? And didn't didn't Moses just part it? That's not what God is asking us to do. Now, sometimes God asks us to do some pretty bizarre things. Sometimes by faith, we have to obey what God has asked us to do. Has God ever asked you to do something bizarre? Something that you were very, very hesitant to do? Have you ever done those things that God has asked you to do and the results are absolutely incredible? Incredible. I was at a retreat once and the entire time the Lord kept on telling me, I need to have you go talk to your neighbor. And I lived on top of my neighbor. My neighbor lived in the place down below us in Ocean City. I need you to go talk to your neighbor. I need you to go talk to your neighbor. I didn't want to go talk to my neighbor. I really didn't want to. And he said, you need to go talk to your neighbor. What am I going to say? I just want you to tell him that I love him. So I hemmed and hauled for the longest time. I just couldn't do it. I just, I don't know why. I just couldn't do it. But then finally I got up and I went downstairs and I went out and it was just about dark and the lights had come on and everything like that. We're in Ocean City. It was just about dark. And I came out and I'm like, Lord, you know how difficult this is. And I walked out and as I got to turn the corner, there my neighbor was sitting on the porch all by himself. I went, well, this must be you, Lord. Let's go. So I went up there and I just said, yeah, I don't know why I said, but the Lord wants me to tell you that he loves you. He started crying. He started crying when he said to me, that's exactly what I need. I'm out here and I don't know what to do. We had mega problems and all this kind of stuff. I went, I couldn't believe it. But it was incredible that the Lord would do that. Sometimes the Lord asks us to do crazy things. He was asking the priest to step their feet in water that was rushing by. And he wasn't going to stop the water until they put their foot in the water. Can't you just part it like you did the Red Sea? No. You can't put God in a box. God doesn't always do the same thing all the time. You can't expect God to act the same way all the time. Our example is Jesus. Go back and look. Every time Jesus healed a blind man, he did it a different way. He healed him a different way. One time he just said, be healed. One time he took mud and rubbed it and put it in somebody's eyes. And the next time the disciples were walking on him and he came up to a blind man, he spit in the guy's eye and he healed him. God works in mysterious ways. God works in crazy ways, but God wants to use us. He told these guys to put your feet in the water. Everything we do has to be done by faith. Everything we do has to be done by faith. It took a great leap of faith for these guys to put their feet in the water. It took a huge amount of faith for them to come down to this rushing water and put their foot in. Their obedience through faith is what God was looking for. But it's interesting because God tells Joshua, Joshua, I'm going to exalt you in front of the people. I'm going to lift you up in front of the people so that everybody's going to know that I'm going to be with you just like I was with Moses. But Joshua, he's not even lifted up. He tells the people how great God is. He tells people that God's going to drive out the inhabitants of the land. That's God going to dry up the Jordan River. That God's going to do this thing. See, a true servant of God never takes credit for what God is doing. A true servant of God never takes credit for what God's doing. 
Instead of Joshua being exalted, he's back giving all the credit to God, and he's exalting God. This is what being led by the Spirit does. When you're being led by the Spirit, the focus is on Christ, not you. The focus is on Christ, that people would see him. Joshua is a great example of leadership because he's always putting the Lord before the people's eyes. He's always putting the Lord before people's eyes. Joshua didn't magnify himself, he magnified the Lord. Joshua called God the living God. He's going to defeat the inhabitants of the land. He's going to open the Jordan for them to go through. And in verse 12, out of nowhere, the Lord tells Joshua to get 12 guys. From one from each tribe. It doesn't say anything else. We're going to find out about that next week. But he has these guys on hold. And then finally in verses 14 through 17, we see the steps now taken by faith in Joshua as they go on. Let's finish out. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all of its bank during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zertan. So the waters that went down to the Sea of Reba and the Salt Sea failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all the Israel crossed over from dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. I wonder how long those priests stood there holding that Ark. Talking about millions of people coming across. Millions of people coming across. We have no idea. We're not told now how much it stops. We're not told about the length that they could cross over. I would imagine it's a pretty good spot. But they cross over. To be a victorious Christian, we got to get our feet wet. We have to get our feet wet and step out in faith when God calls us to accomplish things. That's what the victorious Christian does. When we want to accomplish something in God's name, we have to step out in faith. We must step out in faith as we follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit guides us and leads us, we must step out in faith. The Jordan did not part until the priest stepped in with the ark. By faith they obeyed God and took him at his word. They believed that he would accomplish exactly what he said was. And they stood there on dry ground. Dry ground. I remember when we talked about that during the parting of the Red Sea. They didn't sludge through mud and that gook that forms at the end of where the waves are on the ocean. You know that gook there, the mud? They didn't trudge through that. It was dry. Dry ground. The Lord is going before us. The Lord is going before us in every single thing that we might accomplish for Him. Everything. He's going before us in our lives with our family. He's going before us in our workplaces. He's going before us in every single thing that we might ever do. He's going before us. In fact, He's been there. He's been there. As we fix our eyes on Him, we lay aside and separate ourselves from the world. We lay aside and get rid of the sin that so easily tangles us and knots us up. And we run with Him this race of endurance. Folks, The Christian life, the abundant life, is not a sprint. It is a marathon. It is a long-distance encounter, one that you need endurance for. And that endurance comes from reading the Word of God, knowing who God is, and knowing that He will be faithful. He who began the work in you will be faithful to complete it. God is giving us everything for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. He's giving us every spiritual blessing 
in Christ. He's adopted us as children. He's given us an inheritance. He's given us the down payment of that inheritance, the Holy Spirit. Every promise we have, we can take now and say, thank you, Lord, but we have to take them by faith. We have got to receive them by faith. There's no need for the Christian to wander in the wilderness. There's no need for us to be stuck in the wilderness, but by faith we can come into the abundant life. That's why the book of Hebrews was written as a challenge to God's children so that we would grow spiritually into spiritual maturity and not slide backwards into unbelief. God wants us to have this spiritual maturity. The Christian life can be victorious. The Christian life is a life of motion. And unfortunately, you can either go two ways. You can either go forward or you can go backwards. Which way do you want to go? Which way do you want to travel in your Christian life? We're going to end with Philippians 3, 7 through 15. But what things were gained to me, these things I counted lost for Christ. He's counting the world things lost. He's counting his heritage lost. He's counting all those things that everyone counts dear as lost. He's sanctifying himself. He's separating himself from those things. What things were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost. Why? For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, the wilderness, sin, And reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. This is the mind of the abundant life. This is the mind that is victorious in Christ. This is the mind that is more than conquerors. This is the mind that he's talking about. But, he says, I love this. If anything you think otherwise... God will reveal this to you. I love that. God will reveal it to you when you sit before him and ask, reveal this. Make this clear to me. Nevertheless, to agree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. That's the abundant life. That's the life that they're passing into, this life of wonder, a life full of peace and joy through the Holy Spirit. Not that there's not going to be problems. We're too smart for that. We know there's going to be problems. But we are overcomers in Christ. This is what we look for. This is what we have. And that's why I love this crazy book so much of Joshua. I just absolutely love it because it teaches us so much as to what we can have in our lives today. You are The book of Joshua details the Israelites' journey into the land promised them by God, as well as the various adventures they encountered along the way. They met many nations and fought many wars, and each one required them to rely on their Lord. 
Through it all, one thing is clear. God keeps His promises and protects His people. This is true in your life today. God is keeping the promises He's made to you. He sent His Son to die on a cross and rescue you from sin. And today, you can live in freedom. You can move forward confidently with Jesus on your side, relying on your Lord to help you fight your battles. We're so glad you joined us today on Assure Hope. As we continue this study, we'd like to hear from you and learn how you heard about Assure Hope. We also want to know how we can be praying for you, so please give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. If you'd like to hear more from this series in the book of Joshua, you'll find all the messages online at assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download, and we encourage you to share them with friends and family. That's all we have time for today. We're so glad we can share God's Word with you through this ministry. Pastor Dave will have more to share from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the exciting Old Testament book of Joshua next time. So we hope you'll join us again right here on A Sure Hope.